You're listening to the Sparrows and Wildflowers podcast. Stories of faith, love, life, loss, and eternity. I'm so glad you've joined us for episode 13 of Sparrows and Wildflowers. This episode, we hear from the incredible Nicola Gibb. Nicola is the talented artist who painted the Sparrows and Wildflowers artwork, and her journey through life so far has been both tough and triumphant. She speaks about representing Australia in diving at the age of just 11 and encountering a serious injury a few years later. Nicola shares about addiction, family breakdown, Bible college, working in ministry, seeing and experiencing supernatural physical healings, and much more. So if you're interested in seeing more of Nicola's artwork or would like to find out where you can hear her speaking in churches around Australia, then you can do so online at www.nicolagibb.com. That's N-I-C-O-L-A-G-I-B-B. So now here's my interview with Nicola Gibb. Where I grew up was the North Shore of Sydney. Did you enjoy growing up there? Loved growing up there. I was very fortunate. Grew up, um, my parents had money. We didn't have a lot of love in our house, but we had lots of money. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And what are some of your early memories? Some of my early memories, uh, I have like, I have weird early memories because I have some really bad ones and I have some really great ones. Mm -hmm. And they're probably about even, you know, so I grew up with two alcoholic parents. Right. Yeah. Um, which was no fun. Yeah. And there was a lot of turmoil in our house pretty much every day, every night, uh, fighting and verbal abuse. Uh, so me and my sister were often, often duck, duck and weave and run, run for cover most nights. So growing up was not a happy memory for me. Um, but I actually found a happy place, which was the swimming pool and um started to that was a place where i could go and dream and and feel safe Mm -hmm. uh which yeah which is what i did often which is how i sort of got into diving all right and what age were you then uh when i got into diving i was eight years old okay and uh taught myself how to spin off the side of the pool and do all these sorts of tricks um but really i was I was out there daydreaming and playing and being creative and um, I was actually running from the turmoil inside the house. Yeah. But it, it forced something beautiful out in me, which was which was uh, a talent in diving. Yeah, right. So you became quite good at diving, I understand. Yeah, I started diving when I was eight and it was I was very committed. Yeah. It was seven days a week training, twice a day on weekends. Uh, 100% committed. So I started winning state championships and uh, went to the nationals. I got to represent Australia at the world championships when I was just 11 years old. So I think I was the youngest competitor ever to represent Australia at a world competition, in a world competition. Yeah, back in 1977. (laughs) (laughs) And what was that experience like? Amazing. I mean, it was such a privilege to carry the flag. Yeah. Uh, I got to carry the flag because I was the shortest, not the most talented. (laughs) Um, And, you know, it was incredible. I felt very, very proud to to represent our country. 
And where was that? I was in Houston, Texas. And then from there, we went on to another competition in Canada. But I was billeted out with a family uh, and stuff like that. So we we were there for about six weeks. It was a six-week tour. Yeah, incredible. I came sixth in the world, uh, but I was diving up against 14-year-olds. So I did really well for an 11-year-old. Yeah. Um, and just made me more determined and more excited about the real dream, which was to go to the Olympics. Okay. Um, yeah. And did that happen? No, that did not happen. Uh, I had a massive accident on, on my 14th birthday. On your birthday? Wow. Yeah, off the 10-metre platform. Uh-huh. Um, it was a back, backward dive and I landed really badly in the water uh, instead of bringing – the dive through the water like a pencil. Uh, I overextended my spine on entry and ripped all my neck and spine and hips out of joint. Wow. And I was unconscious in the water and all the judges had to dive in and get me out and I was a, I was pretty much a wreck. Yeah. And wow. as a result of that, Rachel, I had to give up my beloved sport, which broke my heart. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Absolutely. So what did that recovery time look like for you? Well, I was in strong denial for a long time. I pretty much shoved all the pain down and just completely denied that I was in any pain at all and tried to take up, tried to continue diving. But my spine was really crooked. Mm. Uh, my right leg was shorter than my left leg. All my hip was twisted around. I mean, I couldn't really sit in a chair for more than five minutes without cramping up. I had to be constantly on the move. Mm. to be relatively out of chronic pain. Um, Right. Yeah. And were your parents able to be a support to you? No, my parents both were alcoholics. Yeah. And um, they were functioning alcoholics. Yeah. Um, Therefore, they would take me training, but then when when they came home, it was was, um, booze on, you know. at that time, part of the reason I had the accident was through um, through disappointment entering my heart. Just before that dive, I'll never forget it, it was like a poison arrow hitting my heart like disappointment because mm-hmm. my dad didn't show up oh, really? for the competition. Okay. And it was because my parents were actually going through the divorce. Oh. And it struck me that this would literally change my life if my parents got divorced and that I would have to give up diving and how would I get to training and all this stuff. So I remember climbing up the ladder that day just thinking my life's about to seriously change because I knew the divorce was about to happen. Uh, And so that was a real reason. I think what really struck me afterwards, years afterwards, was that it it was just perceived disappointment. It wasn't actually even the truth because my dad was at the competition. He was just late. Oh. He just got to me late because wow. when I came through into consciousness again, yeah. uh, my dad, my dad's face was like right over me and mm. I could see him and he was there. Um, but it was just that I perceived that he had let me down. Yes. Yeah. And it's amazing what disappointment can do to a heart. Mm. And, for, you know, I, the good news is I wasn't crippled from that accident um but actually i was on the inside Mm -hmm. my heart felt crippled from that from that moment that i had to give up my sport give up my diving and um and my parents did get a divorce and that crippled me even more Mm. which is a disappointment that i lived with for a long time yeah Yeah. 
And um, was God or religion a part of your world? No, up? not at all. No, mm-hmm. my parents didn't didn't have a faith. Um, although my mum, my mum had a semi faith. I guess she t- she told me this story when I was really young. See, my mum had a cerebral hemorrhage when I was just five years old. Uh, she had a massive brain tumor. Okay. She pretty much literally died on the operating table. And she told me this story about how when she clocked out for a couple of seconds, she spoke to God and pleaded with God that she that he would not take her and that, he, that she could return because she had me, who was five, and my sister, who was six. And she said, please don't take me from my from my babies, from my girls. Wow. And so she always just told me that story about God, that she'd talked, that she'd spoken to God, that she'd seen God, that and and that God had granted her 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 prayer and let her come back. She did come back and but she had a miserable life. Uh, she was paralyzed all down her left side. Okay. Uh, and she used to take a lot of strong drugs every single day. She was in a lot of pain. And as I said, she was an alcoholic, so she used to take the pills with a lot of alcohol Mm. yeah but my mum never really recovered she at the age of five I pretty much knew that I would be looking after my mum not the other way around and what about you and your sister were you really close really close yeah Yeah. me and my sister were really close we made a pact very early in life when we realized what kind of uh, environment we were growing up in that we would stick together that we would love each other all our days and that we were, in fact, each other's family so that we would parent each other. Yeah, my big sister, she's one year older than me. She, she means a lot to me um, and vice versa. We're still close to this day. She lives around the corner. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. So what did life sort of start to look like for you after the accident? Mm. After the accident, mm. you know, there's... Um, there's a verse in the Bible that says, "Without a vision, the people will perish." Mm. That's pretty much what life looked after looked like for me. I started to perish. Mm-hmm. I lost a huge vision. I lost my dream. Um, I literally thought, if I can't dive, I don't want to do anything. Okay. Um, so yeah, I was pretty much a lost soul, I would say, and I and I gravitated, uh, I gravitated towards all the wrong crowd at school, who introduced me to recreational drugs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at first it was just sort of a light smoking recreational drugs, but it became really quite heavy and I was, I became addicted to drugs um, very quickly because I'm a passionate person. I am passionate about everything I do, so I sort of became a very passionate drug taker, uh-huh. um, even selling drugs and taking harder drugs all the time um, until, yeah, I, did, I lived like that, Rachel, for 15 years. Oh, okay. Yeah, for the next 15 years. And the drugs used to help with the pain. Yes. So I was just trying to I was just trying to be numb, the actually. The physical pain? Or the physical pain, pain and the pain in my heart. Right. If I could if I was numb, then and I could and I could be in denial and I could be out of it, uh, then then I was comfortable. But if I was sober, I was extremely uncomfortable. Mm. Just cuz I was in pain. You know, and I, I like to say to people that Drug addicts are not bad people. Yeah. They're just hurt people. Yeah. And I was just hurt. Mm. And did you study and work through that time as well? 
I don't know about study. <laughs> uh, I remember doing the HSC pretty stoned. <laughs> you know, um, I went on and I worked and pretty much had a really big party lifestyle, whatever. Whatever job I took was always with people mm-hmm. and it was always involved partying. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, just trying to just like drinking a lot and, you know. Mm-hmm. So did you have a specific career or you sort of floated around? Uh, I went into travel, actually. Okay. Yeah. And um, I did some bar work mm-hmm. and then I went into travel hospitality and uh, I actually was a tour guide around Europe for four years. Oh, cool. Yeah. And um, as long as I was out of it, drunk, stoned and on the move, mm-hmm. I was, I was you know, operating all right. But, um, yeah, I was trying to avoid any kind of intimacy with myself. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's interesting because a lot of people who would have an accident would be sort of uh, not mobile. Yeah. So it's interesting to have that I had to stay mobile. Yeah. 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 Because if I sat down, I would cramp up. Mm. So to lie down Mm. in bed was extremely painful for me. Yeah. Uh, So I couldn't sleep properly for many, many years. 15 years, I couldn't sleep flat on my back. I had to, it would take me hours to get to sleep at night just to get into a position Mm. where it wasn't hurting my spine. Mm. Um, So the more stoned I was, as you can imagine, then the less problem I had with trying to find a position I could sleep in. So if I was standing up, I was all right. But if I was sitting down, I wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Mm. Was there a time... I guess after these 15 years, maybe or during where you encountered Jesus? Uh, oh, look, I'll, I wouldn't say I was even looking for, for faith or mm-hmm. spirituality or anything like that. i tell you what really bugged me. I thought there has to be a truth okay, for even the word to exist. Yeah. For even the word truth to exist, I thought there has to be one. Mm. And what is it? And so I probably did have a little bit of a quest. I just want to find the truth. I just want to find the truth yeah. about this life because I kind of always had this feeling that that there was something bigger out there than than me and or there was some kind of purpose. I think coincidences really bugged me. Like why do all these coincidences happen? Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, what happened was I had this friend and she said to me, I've got a ticket to the best party in the universe because she was talking my language. I was a party girl. Mm-hmm. I've got a ticket to the best party in the universe and I suggest you get yourself one. And I was like, what is she talking about? I want one of those tickets. How do I get it? She didn't tell me how to get it. She just said I should get one. And then she flitted off to New York to become um, a singer. She's an amazing singer. She flitted off to New York and left me with that statement and she also said to me i want you to wake up every morning and say i believe i believe i believe three times i want you to say it every morning just say it and i said okay all right so i did it i did it for a whole year i'd wake up every morning and say i believe i believe i believe and then sooner enough i'd ask myself well what what do i believe in i didn't even know what i believed in i didn't know if there was a god um and i started just kind of searching out the truth Okay. Yeah, and I remember all these Christians used to come across my path and try and talk to me about God, and it, it happened. I did have a massive spiritual experience in 1995, and I was 29 years old. And what happened was I was in this bar, 
and I looked around me and I realized I was in the wrong story, like I was on the wrong path. And it was an eye-opener. It was like my eyes were opened to, to me being in the, wrong sto- in the wrong story of my life. And there was no external catalyst. No, it was, just the, it was just like literally my eyes were opened. Wow. And I found out later that she was over in New York in this church and they were all praying for me that I would um, – come to know Jesus Christ, that I would come to know, have a spiritual experience. And we figured it out that it was right at that time because it freaked me out. I had to leave the bar, go home. And what happened the next day was I decided that that freaked me out so much, I bought a one-way ticket to New York City to hunt that girl down and find out how I get my ticket to the best party in the universe. I knew she was talking about heaven, but I just wanted to find out the truth. So yeah, I got. I, I told her I was coming. She picked me up from the airport, and uh, she she took me to this church, uh, and I had the most incredible spiritual experience of my life. And it was it was uh, meeting Jesus Christ for the first time. I was absolutely blown away. In a millisecond, I knew that God was real and that He loved me, and that um, He offered healing. He was gonna. You know, heal my spine. I had faith that that not just was I going to have um, salvation in His name, but healing in His name, which is exactly what happened. I had a miracle in my spine soon after this spiritual experience in New York, mm-hmm. and pretty much I'll I'll try and say it really quickly, but uh, I I got the pastors to pray for me, mm. and I uh, I picked up this little book on healing, yeah, and it said if you pray in the name of Jesus, you'll be you'll be healed Mm. and that's all i knew i just pretty much had childlike faith just i just believed you see that word had done a work i believe i believe i believe Mm. and so i just decided to believe like a child Mm. and i got the pastors to pray and they said from the top of nicola's head to the bottom of her feet heal her in the name of jesus and for the next two two and a half hours i felt incredible waves of heat go through my body Mm. and uh and God completely did a creative miracle and healed my spine, my neck, my hips. Every single bone went back to normal. I know it's pretty out there and wow. it's pretty wild for anyone listening. It just might sound crazy, but I literally experienced it and went through it and, and nobody could tell me that, that God's not real when he, he can move your bones, you know, like it was a miracle, amazing. Yeah. So, yeah, now I sit here a complete completely back in my rightful position as I was before I had the accident. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Totally well. Totally, totally healed. In fact, I love weight training now. I love Mm -hmm. running. Um, I'm fitter than I've ever been at age 50 50 now. Um, I'm fitter than I've ever been in my life. And I love, I love, just love sport and being fit. Yeah. It's so exciting. Yeah. Wow. And I want to go back to when you talked about you had the spiritual experience in mm. the church in New York. What did that look like for you? It was, I'm a very visual person. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I remember having this vision of, well, there was a preacher there and he was talking about Jesus. I'd never really heard about Jesus. I'd heard about God. I'd heard the name Jesus said in a few different contexts, but not never, you know, worshipped. Never mm-hmm. in church context, actually. Okay. And so this preacher was really saying that 
Jesus was the way to God, like you had to believe that Jesus was the way through into salvation, Mm. that he was the sacrifice. And I really had a hard time grappling with that, you know, because God is God, but is Jesus God? Yeah. Uh, And so, look, literally I had this vision of me. There On one side of this huge wall was me and on the other side was the like a promised land. It was like all these fields of beautiful green and it was just amazing. And I knew that there was this there was a wall between me and that place. Mm. And perhaps that was the ticket to the best party in the universe. You know, I had to get over the wall. Mm. And so I literally, for me, it was about getting over the wall. And the wall, I guess, was my arguments, my own, uh, you know, blockages mm. towards taking a step of faith. But... I, I knew I had to just jump over the fence, mm. the, the, the wall. And so as soon as I decided, I, I raised my hand that day to receive to receive prayer. Yeah. And that was my big step of faith, to, mm. to just to raise my hand up and say yes to God. And so when I did that, I remember feeling this amazing just relief sensation of God's power. I felt all I could feel was his love. All I could feel was this incredible, unconditional love. I came to him totally broken, totally drug addicted. Um, At my worst, I came to him and he still loved me at my worst. Mm. And I think that's what really got me. He said, come, come as you are. Yeah. And, um, you know that Jesus died for us when we're at our worst, so mm-hmm. we don't have to be all clean and all good to receive God. And that 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 was His mercy that I saw, and and you know His grace over my life, and it just it just melted melted me. You know, I was in absolute tears, and I remember just knowing that God was real from that moment. That's beautiful. Yeah. And did life look and feel quite different after that oh absolutely 100 percent, completely (laughs) radical black and white different like swimming under black thick mud to breaking through into the barrier reef that different like Mm. that complete extremely different i was um completely healed from all my drug addiction on the spot i never wanted another drug the minute I met, I met Jesus. Mm. Um, so I got clean, and I went on a passionate pursuit of knowing God. I wanted to know the Bible. I found out that uh, there was a great Bible college, but it was back in Australia. So mm-hmm. I came back to Australia to sign up for two years of Bible college, mm-hmm. and uh, just I was so hungry to learn because I'd never read a Bible or been to church before in my life, and. Mm. So, yeah, I was just hungry to learn everything I could about God and went on that pursuit from then on. And I knew from the minute that I met God that I really just wanted to give him my whole life. Yeah? Yeah. And how did you like Bible college? I loved Bible college. It was just some of the best days of my life. Uh, I went to C3 College and uh, studied ministry full-time for two years and found out uh, people were telling me, oh, she's a preacher for sure. (laughs) So, yeah, I I actually really did see that as soon as I met God. I felt the call. Mm -hmm. I felt a strong call over my life to serve him 100% with, you know, give him everything and and follow him. And so, yeah, um, 
just started dreaming, I guess, God put a new dream in my heart. And I never got to represent Australia. Granted, I never did, but mm. I, I get a way bigger privilege now. I get to represent Jesus Christ wherever I go, uh, which is way better than the Australian flag, if you ask me, because it's, you know, <laughs> it's like you're not representing a country, you're representing a, a kingdom and something you, you're representing, you know, a God that offers eternal life for people that when they're at their weakest, at their worst. And that is the biggest privilege on this entire planet, if you ask me. I'm interested to hear as well about moving from that party environment and that sort of crowd into a not just a church crowd, but a Bible college crowd. Yeah. How did you find that? I found it pretty wild. Um, But like I said, the transformation that happened at the time of my salvation experience was so Mm. radical for me Mm. that um, I literally left my old life behind. And Mm -hmm. there's a verse in in the Bible, it says that the old is gone Mm. and the new has come and Mm. you literally are born again. So you're a new man, you're a new person, you're a new woman. Mm. I felt new. I felt completely forgiven. Mm. I felt brand new. What really got me that day was that the preacher offered a clean slate, Mm. that every mistake you ever made, that every... Uh, every sin that you ever did could be completely wiped away and you'd be given in exchange a fresh white page and that Mm. really got my attention because I knew that I had pages and pages and pages of mistakes Mm -hmm. that I traded in for this clean page. So, yeah, Mm. I literally felt clean. So Mm. it wasn't wasn't hard to follow God. It was actually easy Mm -hmm. because, you know, I had his – power on me to do that Mm. so I don't think you know following God you don't do it in your own strength yeah um I've always felt that I've done it with God's power on me Mm. um with his grace on me to do it to follow him he gives us the grace to do it Mm -hmm. so I think if you do try to do it in your own strength you're going to fall over and make mistakes all the time it's Mm. like it's like a diet you know I'm not going to eat chocolate for a week and that's all you want because you (laughs) you just want to eat chocolate it's it's Mm. pretty much the same with spirituality I think with Christianity is that if you lean on God for your strength, he will pour his strength into your weakness. Mm. Um, but if, you're tr- if you try to be all strong and do it in your own strength, it, it, you're always going to fall over. Mm. So I think it was, it was easy to follow God and simply because he loves us so much. His mm. love is just, his love overwhelms you and you just want it. You want to do the right thing and you, you don't do the right thing to earn his love. He loves you. But you want to do the right thing because you love him. Yeah, that's a good distinction. Mm. And what about the relationships in your world? How did people respond to this change in you? Well, I was really lucky. I stayed in New York for a whole year, which was really great because Mm -hmm. it it gave me a whole year to grow without being around my old crowd, Mm -hmm. the party crowd and the drug crowd. So I was completely separated for a whole year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I came when I came back to Australia, I went straight into a Bible college, mm-hmm. straight into a whole new set of friends, and I literally, yeah, I literally started my life fresh again. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I still got contacts with some some of my old friends, but I had to make a decision to not hang out with them or go to the pub with them, or mm-hmm. you know, it was just that I was in full pursuit of of God now. Mm. And what about your family? 
Uh, my family, well, I ended up leading both of my parents to Christ before they died. Uh, lost both my parents in 2011. Oh, okay. Yeah, they, it was really bizarre. They they died um, six weeks apart from each other and they oh. hadn't seen each other for 30 years. Oh, wow. So it was really bizarre. I lost my dad first and then my mum, but I had the privilege of leading them both to, to Christ, both to faith. Um, and my mum actually overcame her alcohol addiction before she before she passed away. My dad, however, he didn't. He drank heavily right up until he died, uh, which mm-hmm. is why he died so early. Mm. Um, he died of cirrhosis of the liver. Oh, okay. And, yeah, so it was it was pretty impactful, the alcohol on their lives. Um, but I look at them as very broken, hurt people, and that's why they used to drink so much, I guess. Mm. Yeah. So you went on to work for an organisation called Christians Against Poverty. Can you tell us a bit about them and about your role there? Christians Against Poverty is a non-for-profit organisation that is offered to people with uh, unmanageable debt, financial debt. And what we do as a service is go in and find out what got them into debt in the first place and then offer a solution based on giving them great budgeting tools uh, and equipping them to get themselves out of debt. We don't give people money. We don't give them a handout. We give them a hand up by just uh, educating, giving them practical tools, and um, we actually manage the debt for them. Uh, and it doesn't cost them anything. It's completely free service. So it was an amazing ministry to the community and still operates. It's a, a UK-based ministry which now operates in Australia, New Zealand and Canada. Uh, and we literally step in and take the burden off people and and uh, get people debt-free, which is, which is awesome. That must be pretty exciting. It was see. very rewarding. Mm. And what I loved about it was that I got to meet so many people when I first walked into their home, because you would do home visits, two home visits. The first one was to find out all the facts and the second one was to bring the solution. But I met so many uh, broken people with broken dreams. Mm. And I knew deep in my heart that there was hope, that there was a way out, that there, with faith in God, that nothing was impossible. And that with a bit of love and encouragement, Uh, and coaching that anybody could start again, get a fresh start just like I'd been given. And so that's what I loved about the job so much is that I would walk into someone's home and and see hopelessness. And then by the end of the first visit, they were full of hope and had some joy back and had a light in their eye again to see that there might be a way out of this. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. actually one in three of all of our clients either attempt or have seriously thought about suicide. So you're literally walking in there and giving people hope. And I felt sometimes I was even stopping people going down that going down that road of thought of, you know, ending it all because it was all just too hard and they felt so much like a failure. Wow. Yeah, it was incredible. Is there a particular story or client that you could talk to us about that really um, sticks out in your mind? 
Oh, I think one of my favourites is uh, actually a girl called Nicole. When I walked into her home, she's a single mum and she had four kids and she was so down on herself like that she was a complete failure and she, she, she'd stuffed up. Um, this was her second marriage. So she had two older kids to the first marriage and two younger kids to the second marriage and she had been left with all the debt. Um, her ex-husband had walked out and he was a gambler and he'd left her with all this credit card debt. And she seemed to be quite an intelligent woman and she I remember seeing this vision board. She'd done all these pictures and had all these inspiring uh, words on her on her board and I remember just thinking, this, this woman's got vision. Mm. You know, she's got a vision board. <laughs> and um, I remember just thinking that her situation was not the real her and after talking to her for a long time, I realised that out of a poor relationship decision, she'd been left with all this debt. And so so we just I remember praying with her and believing with her and getting her back on her feet. But what I get so excited about is that now Nicole, that client, is now in the position that I was in and she's now working for Christians Against Poverty as the centre manager of where where I where I was and now she's helping people get out of debt. And I think that's one of the most exciting, inspiring stories is because once people have tasted and seen victory in their life, they just want to get, they want to pass it forward. You know, they want to pass mm. it on to others. And now I'm watching her. She's in our church. Um, she's really dedicated Christian now. She wasn't a Christian when I first met her. Um, we prayed together and she invited Jesus into her heart. And, and now she's following God with all gutso and, um, mm. and, and she's helping others. So... That's one of the most inspiring stories. Wow, very cool. Yeah. And you also travel around to, to churches and, and speak. Can you talk a bit about that? Yeah, like uh, like I said, a bit of a preacher chick. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's my big passion is to I – think, I think what my real passion is is introducing people to Jesus Christ because I know that if they see him, they see the Saviour and their whole life is going to radically change like mine did. And so I'm, I'm really passionate about introducing people to Jesus, but also teaching others how to introduce people to Jesus as well. So, yeah, I have a uh, Go training, which is um, a training seminar I put on when I go to churches and, and we talk about, you know, how to make God accessible to people. Is there a story that's come out of that that's really inspired you or that you've been really proud of? Oh, my goodness. I get to see so many amazing things in my travels. So many people come for healing. People come uh, get set free from addictions like myself. I think when I tell my story, people respond to it. People identify. Mm. Um with parts of my story and come and receive healing. But I I guess one of the standout moments for me was I did a – I went to speak at a youth conference um, for kids like year seven to year 12. Mm -hmm. And I was absolutely petrified. (laughs) Uh, I thought, oh, my goodness, what have I got myself in for? But it was one of the highlights of my life. There was was this atheist guy there – 
and he was in the camp with all the Christian kids trying to um, trying to get them to unbelieve. Okay. <laughs> and he he was watching me pray for people and and uh, see God has a power. Like I said, God healed my spine with a supernatural power and. And he was watching me pray for people and people were getting healed and he was he figured that I was using pressure points. Oh, okay. And he was writing notes and the leaders had told me, oh, this guy's really, you know, thinks he's got your number and he's writing down everything you're doing and he's even filming you and he's taking oh. photos and all sorts of things. And I thought, oh, that's funny. And they right. told me he was this very strong atheist guy and he- This is a t- teenager? Yeah, te- okay. like he, he would have been about 16. Okay. And um, by the end of the conference, it was like about two or three days long, this conference, and at the end of the conference, he literally came up to me and surrendered his life to Jesus because he said to me, I cannot argue with the power of God. I know what you're doing is is God. Wow. And uh, he let me pray for him. Mm. And when I lay my hands on him, he he literally fell down under the power of God and surrendered his life and completely did this massive turnaround about not being a believer to being a passionate believer. And he's in church today uh, up in Brisbane wow. following God. And Incredible. I think that's a standout because, you know, being a preacher is not about just preaching the word. It's about coming and showing the power of God as well. I think that God wants to show himself to the mm. world. And he does that through healings and miracles, and uh, he wants people. To, he wants people out of pain, mm. and I, I just I find watching God do miracles in people's lives just absolutely amazing. I mean, there's been hundreds. Yeah, mm, beautiful. As you say, there's there are hundreds and yes, millions across the world across time of of healings of physical things and setting free of addiction and all that. And at the same time, there's also people that do pray for things and their prayers don't sure. get answered. Sure. I'm wondering if you're able to share any perspective or thoughts on that. Yeah, sure. You know, it's one of those it's one of those really tricky questions. Um, why don't why do some people get healed and, and why don't others? Uh, I can only speak from experience in terms of receiving a creative miracle myself, mm. knowing knowing that it was serious, unadulterated, childlike faith mm-hmm. that I came to God with 100% just believing that he would do it because he loved me. Um, not saying that other people haven't done that and they might have done that and not got healed, but I really literally think that that kind of faith draws the power of God out of God and onto the situation. It's mm-hmm. like this, I was desperate desperate to be healed mm. and I came expecting a miracle and I got one and and I think that you know there's a verse in the Bible that says um, that according to your faith it shall be done and I'm not saying that people don't have faith either because people have had a lot of strong faith for years and not been healed as well and I can't answer that all I know mm. is that God, is a loving God. He always does. He always does the best for people. Um, so I literally can't judge somebody's level of faith. Yeah, uh, it's hard, but but God knows. And I and I think though, I, all I know is that childlike faith will draw the power of God 
out of God, you mm-hmm. know, just simple trust at its base level. Yeah, and some, I think too, can I say, you know, I've experienced, um, I've had two friends with terminal cancer and one was completely healed and had a miracle mm. and the other one passed away. And it was funny though, I think that everybody has a certain amount of breaths to take as well and sometimes we don't know God's will and sometimes it might be the most loving thing to do is to take someone home early. It may be that is their time to go to a better place. It may be that that is their that is their time to go and they've got better things to do in the best party in the universe. Mm. Um, so we can't always understand with our human mind why somebody would pass away and somebody would be healed or somebody, you know, might get a miracle and somebody might not. All I know is that if you have faith in God, you 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 know you will get through the hardest of situations and and it's and hope is really like an anchor and it's not really about this life here on earth it's about eternal life mm. so if you can always think about the big picture and about eternal life then whether you're healed here or not you will be healed mm. you'll be healed here or you'll be healed there but you will be healed so some some people will see their healing here on earth some people will see it when they get to heaven. Mm. But ultimately, Jesus is a healer. In some Christian denominations, or perhaps more, it depends on the individual, but some people don't believe in women sort of teaching and preaching Mm. on the platform, so to speak. Mm. What's your perspective on that? Because obviously you feel very called to do that and you see a lot of great results from doing that. Oh yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a never-ending battle, really. It still goes on. It shocks me um, that I, I think you know it's crazy that I'd have such a strong calling, and and uh, you know if God didn't believe that <laughs> women should be on the platform, then why would He give me this calling? Um, I grapple with that, but you know, you just have to look back in history. Uh, Amy Semple McPherson, uh, Catherine Kuhlman, obviously these women had the full power of God behind them and moved in so many miracles and healings and salvations and brought thousands and thousands of people into the knowledge of, of, of Christ. And, you know, if, if God wasn't into women ministers, I don't think they would have had the success that they did. And um, I know without a doubt that that God is cheering his girls on, cheering women ministers on all the way. And, um, you know, uh, there's people can take scripture out of context, uh, which often, you know, like women should be silent in the church, for instance, and, and not realize that where it's come from or, or you know, at, that we're talking about it culturally in the day. But I totally 100% agree with with women in the pulpit um Mm. i think you just have to see is god with them or not and it's clear to see that he is yeah absolutely and so another aspect of your life you've become an artist a painter yeah in the last few years can you talk about how that came to be uh well i i went through a painful divorce myself 
and um, I I remember the day my husband left I remember um, just wanting to pick up a paintbrush and express my express myself express my emotions on canvas and uh, I just did this this really colorful flower painting and mm. um, is that something you had done before painting or no not well I'd done art at school but I hadn't touched it for years and I was just uh, 40 41 before I picked up a paintbrush okay yeah so I just it was just something I felt like doing mm. um, being creative and so yeah I did a canvas and and uh, somebody loved it and wanted to buy it I couldn't believe it <laughs> and so yeah I just started it's just a hobby really it used to make me happy mm. and um, and I started doing these uh, I did an artwork for my my son's bedroom and somebody wanted to buy it off me again and these little things just started every time I'd paint a painting somebody just want to buy it and so I couldn't I could never keep a painting <laughs> and I just was doing kids art at the time just exploring and then I thought maybe there's something in this I went to do one year of art college just to investigate and see whether I had a gift or not you know and I went along and I just loved it and then uh, after that just kept it as a hobby um, but every time I'd paint a painting, somebody would want to buy it. <laughs> so I just really thought people kept encouraging me, just kept painting, keep painting. And now uh, I've just done my second exhibition and um, I just absolutely love it. It's a, it's, it's a time for me and God. Uh, I, I want to express God's uh, colour, his extravagance on the canvas. That's, I guess, what, what I want to do and what I want to relay and but just the private revelations that I get in my spiritual walk mm. I base my art on those revelations okay. and people seem to be really attracted to it so I don't really kind of paint for the sake of myself it's almost like every canvas I do is a gift for somebody and I know somebody's gonna feel connected to that piece of art and it's for them mm. yeah can you give us one example of of a revelation you've had and how that's translated into an artwork? Yeah, for sure. Um, I had this series called It's Under the Tree. Uh, there was, it, there's a verse in the Bible that says Galatians, it's Galatians 3.13 and it says, Cursed is everyone who died on a tree. And it's talking about Jesus dying on a tree. And there was this great story. It was one Christmas we were putting up a Christmas tree and my son said to me, why do we put up a Christmas tree at Christmas? Like, why a tree? And I and uh, I had no answer. It was one of those moments where you're just searching around for a clever answer, but you haven't got one. And I was just like, mm. "Oh my goodness, what am I going to say?" And then I just came out of my mouth like a revelation, and I said, "Because oh, Jesus died on a tree," and he said, "No, he didn't. He died on a cross." I said, "Yeah, but the cross was made out of a tree." He's like, "Yeah, you're right." And then I started thinking about that scripture that cursed is everyone that died on a tree. And so I had this big thing about trees and that scripture meant a lot to me. And, and that, I remember that Christmas I didn't have any money for Christmas presents and I was putting up the tree by faith thinking mm. I haven't got anything to put under that tree. Wow. And I had this prayerful moment to God saying, and I said, well, if you were cursed on the tree, then you took the curse of poverty off me mm. and you put it on yourself. So I'm asking you, to, to miraculously provide some money so that I can buy my sons some Christmas presents that Christmas. 
And I'm not joking. I literally had this faith that God was going to just swap that poverty to blessing because he died on the tree for it. And within two weeks, I had something like $1,200 come into my bank account from unexpected sources um, just because I applied my faith to, to the scripture. And I'll never forget that Christmas, uh, 2012, and I'll never forget that scripture and I'll never forget why. So I did a series of trees mm. um, and I called them It's Under the Tree. It's all under the tree. Mm. And literally it's all under the tree, the Christmas presents. I'll never, I never had so much joy giving my boys those presents that Christmas, knowing that God had provided the money for them. And, yeah, yeah it was a cool story. Very cool. And you mentioned going through that painful divorce how was your faith through that? For me, it was just relief, really, because my marriage was very painful. So I always looked at God rescuing me out of a an abusive situation. Uh, so I was really relieved to, to leave my marriage. That was uh, and still is amazing in terms of God being there for me and being a rock, um, stepping in as my husband, stepping in as my provider. He still provides incredibly for me. Um, I really do look at God as my husband. He has sustained me through so many rough times. I mean, I had two babies. Uh, I left my husband when I had a one-year-old and I was six months pregnant. Wow. So, yeah, I couldn't work. Yeah, that's so tough. Yeah. And so I had to, uh, you know, um, just rely on on God for, for many things. But I guess it was, it was absolutely amazing how uh, every time I needed groceries and I didn't have any money that the phone would ring and I'd do – a painting for somebody and just mm-hmm. get a hundred bucks or something. And literally I felt like God was feeding me through these little artworks I would do. Um, and so, so that was cool. And also I became a nanny mm-hmm. for someone else's child who was the same age as my boys. And so I just took a extra kid along with me everywhere. Yeah. But it was just um, at the time, you know, each, each stage of my boys growing up, God has provided with me in miraculous ways to into now today I completely live by faith as a traveling minister and I'm an artist and I live in an amazing house in an amazing place in Sydney. Um, I'd have to say I'm living all my dreams out Um, and that's just come out of staying true to the call and staying in the house of God and staying close to God. So, yeah, I have a really close relationship with Jesus that has sustained me through so many tumultuous times. And throughout your life, has there been a particular Bible scripture that has has been really significant for your journey? I guess I'm really passionate about John 4. It's a story of the woman at the well. Mm. I feel like I am the woman at the well. <laughs> I want to meet the woman at the well. She's like the first person I want to meet when I get to heaven. <laughs> Where's the woman at the well? I'll be saying. But um, I love her because she she had an encounter with Jesus and she just ran off and told everybody. 
And that's what I really respect about her. She didn't have to go to Bible college and get all the P's and Q's all sorted out. She didn't, you know, she didn't care about being educated. She just just wanted the passion of her heart to get out to people. I suppose I'm a little bit like that and I, and I can uh, relate to her, but she ended up saving, she ended up getting a whole community saved because of her one story of seeing Jesus for who he really was, which was the savior of the world. She literally said to people, come, 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 come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. And I suppose that means a lot to me because when I first met Jesus Christ face to face, like if you want to say that, it it was that I was astounded that he knew everything about me, that he he knew where every bone in my body was. When he healed my spine, it literally was like he knew me so intimately, so much more than I knew myself. And I guess that's why I really respond to that, that, that story in John 4, the Samaritan woman at the well, is that when she could see that he knew her so well, that's what rocked her boat. And it wasn't so much the big physical miracle, creative miracle in my life that rocks me. Mm. What really rocks me? is that he knows me. Yeah. Yeah, and that he cares mm. about one little person like me. And so that if he cares about one little person like me, he cares about one little person like you mm. and Joe Blow down the road and Mary and whoever, you know, he, he loves one person at a time but and he loves all humanity. And that's what I love about God is that he sees the very tiny little details mm. and he also sees the big picture. Yeah. And he moves across the big picture, but he also moves in our lives on such an individual level. And he really does care if you have a headache. And he really does care if you have a toothache. And he really does care if you're upset today. He cares and he knows you. So if you just like talk to him and go to him, he will help you. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I love the woman at the well. And, um, and I love the fact that she saw Jesus for who he really was and All he could care about Jesus in that story was that she would see him Mm. and he stayed until she did. Mm. I think it is a really interesting story that he does call out the things she's done and her mistakes, but not in an accusatory way, is it? It's in a healing and a being seen. Yeah, that's right. Like he he says, you know, you've had five husbands. Mm. And uh, she says, yeah, that's right. You know, you got me. (laughs) <laughs> yeah you got me yeah uh he said the husband you've got's not the, the man you're with it's not your husband and and uh you know this woman was looking for love in all the wrong places mm. she anyone who's had five husbands has probably got a, bit, a few relationship issues <laughs> right yeah. she's probably she's probably looking to men to fulfill her needs mm. and and jesus was trying to get her to see that actually he's the living water he's the one that is the only one that can quench her thirst Mm -hmm. and that if she would ask him for living water he would give it to her and he was talking about eternal life of course um she was always she was looking at her temporary needs and he was always looking at her eternal needs Mm. which is how he looks at people if you could just see me if you could just know me you would ask me and i'd give you eternal life it's that simple yeah. That if you if you ask Jesus for eternal life, he'll give it to you. Mm. It's pretty amazing that by we're saved by faith through grace, 
Mm. And this is not from us. It's, it's, you know, not something we can take credit for. Mm. It's a free gift for mm. anybody who wants it. All they have to do is call on the name of Jesus and, and he will come rushing in like a wind and he will be there with his free gift of salvation. And would you say that what you've just articulated there, is that sort of the core of your beliefs? Absolutely. Like that is my number one passion is introducing people to Jesus Christ because I know that he is the way, he's the truth, he's the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Um, and I'm in love with the gospel, which is the good news. Uh, and, I, and I love to communicate that in how many ways I can, sometimes through art, sometimes through preaching, sometimes by just sitting down and having a cup of coffee with someone is showing the love of God. I love to just, I love people and I love God. And I know God loves people. Mm. So doing his work is an absolute joy. Uh, my values are all centered around the Christian faith, which is, to, you know, to do good unto others and treat them like they would want to be, you know, you'd want to be treated yourself and so, yeah, I don't do good things to, to get loved by God. Mm. Uh, I do good things because I love God. Mm. Beautiful. So to finish up then, I'm wondering if you can tell us what your hopes and dreams for the future are. <gasps> hopes and dreams, got so many. Yeah? Yeah, uh, I am a dreamer. I used mm. to be always in trouble for daydreaming at school. <laughs> um, oh, I love a good dream. I dream... I dream of uh, reconciling as many people back to God as possible. Mm. Um, I see large crowds of people coming to know God. Uh, I'm really passionate about people discovering who he is and moving in those healings and miracles and literally getting people out of pain. I'm just fascinated with the whole spiritual world and how that's possible uh, and how I can bring that freedom to as many people as possible. So that's a big dream is just to – actually, I'm living my dream right now. So it's actually just increasing the dream, you know, turning the levels up, turning mm -hmm. the volume up, living out loud. And um, oh, I would love to one day own my own art gallery. That would be mm. exceptional, incredible. Yeah. Um, but just to continue to do art, I, I literally have to say to you, I am living my dream. And so it would be just really, yeah, turning the volume up on the dream. Um, but actually the true essence of my dream is to help people uncover their dream. Mm. That's what I'm really passionate about. Sparrows and Wildflowers is brought to you by Victory One Media and hosted by Rachel Simpson with artwork by Nicola Gibb.